And now, proper propaganda. Pull my mic back, you like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. And my name is Quentin. But since we're friends and you guys listen to the show, I guess you can call me Q. Yes, indeed. Um, stick around because we still have a lot more to talk about. Not the least of which is housing. I'm going to talk about housing, man. These prices are out of control, man. This inflation rate is, I mean, I got two V8s. So, you know, I'm feeling them gas prices, man. So, um, but yeah, housing obviously is something that we need to talk about. And I think that uh, this is National Fair Housing Month or the, the anniversary of the Fair Housing Act. So I definitely want to talk about that as well. Um, and a few other things that are worth sticking around for. So stay tuned. But first, we are going to talk about how to become a better ally. Baba. So I'll start us off. This one comes from InsideTheMagic.net, which I know doesn't sound like the most reputable of sources, but I can assure you there are other reputable sources. I just like the way this was written. We're going to talk about Disney. Become a better ally. How about that? Disney with all the racist cartoons and all the... They've had a long road, right? To get where they are, but this just shows that, you know, there's a, there's a redemption arc in the story here. <laughs> Once you become a multi-billion dollar corporation, then yeah, I guess you can start trying to be nice. Yeah, well, you know, um, we'll take it though, man. It's, it's, hey, listen, man, we all got to get there together. All right. So um, I'll read in a groundbreaking statement for the Walt Disney Company, corporate president Carrie Burke has shared that she is committed to having 50% of all Disney characters be LGBTQIA and racial minorities. Disney corporate president Gary Buke says, quote, as the mother of one transgender child and one pansexual child, she supports having many, many, many LGBTQIA characters in our stories and wants a minimum of 50% of characters to be LGBTQIA and racial minorities. Now, the interesting thing here is there are a lot of people who feel like Disney is being too woke and they try to attack Disney. Um, I found this in this article and I just want to share it. Normally, I don't do this, but I think it makes an excellent point. So there's a Twitter user. We'll shout her out. It's at Lori Hyrup says, quote, uh, she wants 50% of characters to be LGBTQIA plus and racial minorities. This is the U.S. perspective. 42% of the U.S. is not white. 5.6% of the U.S. is openly LGBTQIA plus and Disney is a global company. Around 84% of the world is not white. Around 10% of the world is LGBTQIA plus and 50% movie representation is fair. So shout out to them for becoming a better ally. Now, Q, you're a homeowner. Indeed. Mm, I'm a homeowner. It's kind of a good time to be a homeowner. Yeah. It's a tough time to be in the market. Oh, no, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, we did a story. This might have been about a year ago. Man, it's crazy how we're reminiscing so much this show. But, you know, this goes to show you that these are this is the path we have to walk. We can't do an episode or pass a piece of legislation and then everything changes overnight. This is, you know, we're in this for the long game. But we did do an episode where we talked about 
um, whitewashing, I believe, a home. I have some notes here a little later, so I'll, I'll touch on it a bit more. But effectively, what it was is black people listing their house for sale or sorry, uh, getting the appraisals on their house. That was what it was. And it would appraise at whatever dollar amount. And then they would go through and take all their pictures of their family and replace it with pictures of a white family and then have a white woman or man meet the appraiser at the house. And then lo and behold, the appraisal shot up in value. So we did this story before, but now we're going to talk about uh, renting as well. So I'm going to read a bit. This comes from CBS News. The author is Christopher J. Brooks. Um, and I got this on April 13th. Black and Hispanic Americans are paying extra money to secure rental housing in the U.S. compared to compared with whites, according to Zillow. Um, for those that don't know, Zillow is kind of a app that helps you find a rental, I believe. And uh, also, if you want to buy a house, I have the Zillow app on my phone. It's actually pretty cool. All right. In a report this week, the real estate data firm said that regardless of race, Americans paid an average of $700 in security deposits when renting an apartment. Yet renters of color paid $750 while white renters paid $600. White renters typically paid $50 for a rental application fee while black Americans paid $65. Hispanic applicants paid $80 and Asian Americans paid $100. People of color also typically must submit more rental applications in order to find a place to live, as well as pay more in related fees than white renters, Zillow concluded. Um, Zillow attributed the higher fees and number of housing applications for renters of color partially to their age, noting that they tend to be two years younger than the median white renter. White Americans also are more likely to rent in rural areas and in the Midwest, which are typically cheaper. But racial disparities in rental costs also suggest many landlords often violate federal law, said Dan Corbett of Housing Opportunities Made Equal, a nonprofit in upstate New York that fights housing discrimination. For example, some housing providers can sidestep fair housing laws by charging higher application fees for people with subpar credit scores, which tends to disproportionately affect lower income renters. Real quick, Q. Any surprises here so far? Anything jump out of you is like, wow, I couldn't have possibly imagined that. Sadly, no, my friend. Mm. You know what? While I'm here, I want to share a quick story. When I was about 17 years old, I got a job at a place called Brown and Brown Nissan. And my job was to sell Xterras and Maximas and Frontiers and Sentras um, to people. You know, people would come in on the, the lot after we sent out like the Sunday paper. They'd come in and say, hey, you have one of these cars. I want a blue one. I want it for this price. They'd walk on the lot. I was the person that would go and greet them and say, all right, let's go take out your car. I'd get the keys, take them on a test drive, the whole bit. Car salesman. Um. And as I've shared on the show many times, you know, I've always been this version of myself. I was very fortunate in that I was raised by uh, my, my father was a minister, very educated minister. He has he, he had uh, earned his doctorate um, and he knew who he was. He stood in the middle of his blackness and he stood in the middle of his faith. 
Um, and he taught his son to stand in the middle of his blackness and the middle of his faith. I found something out while I was working there that troubled me. It still troubles me to this day. Nissan was guilty of charging higher interest rates to black people who bought cars from them across the board, all things being equal. If you had more melanin, you paid more in interest on your car loan. They had to eat that and we all knew it. And then guess who didn't work at Brown and Brown Nissan anymore? Now that wasn't Nissan corporate that handled all the financing, but still one of those things that just kind of eats at you, you know? And, and, you know, for me, I, I carry this burden with me. At some point I pray that <laughs> I, I won't have to carry it anymore, but I carry this burden with me, which tells me that I need to make sure that I'm working with someone who is white and not working for someone who is white. And I'll break that down because I know that's, that might be a lot to hear, but working for somebody is, it, it kind of, there's, a, there's, a, there's a power in that relationship that I don't like. If they say the wrong thing, if they do the wrong thing, they might be the most well-intentioned person in the world, right? But if they say the wrong thing, you know, it just hits the ear a little funny. And I owe it to the ancestors. <laughs> you know, for those people that don't have those connections that haven't read the story, I know I sound crazy, but I owe it to people who lived hard and short lives, whose bodies are buried in the ground, right here where I am, right here. To not get pushed around, bossed around, forced around by someone who doesn't appreciate my worth as a human being. And so it's those relationships where I feel like I'm working with someone where I tend to flourish. I feel like I'm working for someone that will be a short-lived arrangement. You know, not to say that I haven't had, you know, that in my life because I have, you know. But I say that to say that this brown and brown Nissan story, it just made me, it made my stomach turn because I sold cars to black women who had kids who were excited to get a Sentra. A Sentra is the small Nissan, you know, basic entry-level car. They were excited to get a Sentra. I sold that car to that woman and she drove it to the south side and parked it in front of her house. And for the next six months, she was all the way on, kept it washed. I know that. And she was paying more for that car, unfairly paying more for that car. And I was a link in that chain and I couldn't stomach it and I didn't work there anymore. Right. But I'm telling you that so that you know how I relate to this housing story. How black people are charged more we're the same things. And it's not a matter of like, could we afford it or anything like that? It's just a hurtful thing. It's just a hurtful thing. Because we're talking about a couple of dollars here and there. That's not going to make or break anybody. You know what I mean? Overall, yes, if we're talking about the whole population, then sure, yeah, you're, 
extracting or black folks as a population are losing a degree of wealth, you know, but individual households, you know, going from $50 to $65 doesn't make or break anyone. But what it does to you psychologically is way more profound. And remember, this was over 20 years ago when I was selling these cars of Brown and Brown Nissan. So me reading this, when I was preparing for today's show, lets me know that even though we've come so far in the past 20 years, we elected a black president, right? <laughs> you know, we've, we've done a lot in the past 20 years. And then there's still so much further to go. There's so many other things we have to deal with. I'd almost rather it be a car than a house. At least you can get a used car maybe, or even, you know, buy private owner. You know, these application fees are, you get the point. I'll continue. Bias in housing persists in part because people who may be subject to discrimination often do not report it, adding that victims often never discover they are paying higher fees or face a higher rate of rejection than white renters. Anyone who paid more money for housing during an unequal application process can sue the provider and have the money refunded, Corbett said. However, that often involves a lengthy, expensive court battle. Now, before I finish this, Q, I want to get your thoughts. It's, it's interesting that there are many things that we talk about that, as you stated, don't surprise us. Mm-hmm. But we're not numb to it. It still gives you that sick to your stomach kind of sense of disbelief that we're still dealing with these same types of problems. Right. They evolve. They don't go away. They, they seemingly multiply. Like They find different ways to sow that indoctrination into different areas of our lives. Someone has to write out policy like that. Or they have to, in some sort of gathering, orate policy like that. And everyone present has to be okay with it for it to go further. And that's the part that's even more disturbing. We try to pretend that we're better as a society and we've made all this progress. But people have to come together in groups and agree to make these kind of decisions and are able to go home to their families, their wives, their kids, their husbands, um, and smile and look themselves in the mirror and be okay with the idea that, yes, I'm going to make life more difficult for these people based exclusively on the way that they look. Um, and this indoctrination and this, this way of thinking has been a truth for tens of millions of people for the, entire, for the entirety of their family lineage. And we're thinking as we go over those statistics about the percentages of the world that are not white, it lets you know why they hold on so tight to those positions of power so they can continue to push forward these ways of thinking and keep themselves with the most leverage so that they can continue to minimize, marginalize, punish, segregate, um, make life less pleasurable for people that look like you and I and our kids. It, uh, 
sometimes it makes me really angry days like today. It just makes me really sad. And I think that that's, that's important because I, that, that word sad is, is a great one right here, you know, because it's, I mean, it's, it's, it definitely can make someone angry, but it's more, it's more like, why, what, what is the point? What, 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 why punish us? You know, and the crazy part about this is, you know, as, as I mentioned um, in the article, you know, as individuals, we don't realize it. You know what I mean? This is, that's the application fee. That's the application fee, $65 shirt, you know, so be it. But then when you find out on the back end, oh, that's what you've been up to. You don't, you just rather not like imagine feeling that way. You know, we, 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 we didn't get a chance to really delve into the story, but we have mentioned on the show before um, the way uh, people who own Airbnbs will treat black renters when they want to rent the Airbnb. If they find out that the renter is black, they'll cancel the reservation, do all this sort of stuff. And there's been, there was, you know, reported a lot of um, discrimination on Airbnb, right? Um, so much so that Airbnb had to kind of step in and do their best to prevent their users from, you know, behaving that way. And then it just kind of gives you a glimpse into the world because, you know, in our day-to-day lives, it doesn't feel like these people hate us or there's enough of them to really make a difference. We go to the grocery store, we raise our kids, you know, we, you know, I go to my son's school and I wave at all the parents there and they're all nice and the teachers and, you know, it's all different color people. We get along great. You know, this is the way that I think the world works. And then you end up having to deal with these sobering statistics and this sobering reality where it's like deep down somewhere, there's a good number of people who really harbor some strange feelings and they're based off of what, you know, prejudices that are, you know, centuries old that are untrue or based in racism, you know? And then it's so hard for people to challenge themselves because of cognitive, cognitive dissonance. It's so hard for people to even know, you know, that they're the ones doing the wrong. It's hard for people to be the bad guy in their own story, right? And so this is a glimpse into a reality that, you know, unless you're a Black person or a Hispanic person, you know, this might not ever be a real thing for you. So you might not ever have to feel it in addition to feeling every single other thing. You know, we watched Katanji Brown Jackson get berated over all kind of nonsense. You know, um, we got, to, to a person like us, it's like, well, shoot, how, how much more perfect can you be than perfect? What, what, what do you, what, what is there? You know, now, this is not the first time we've seen this. We saw it with Obama. We saw, you know, we've seen this sort of thing happen, but it just, and, and, and to be fair, she made it. So we're good. We got, you know, we okay. You know what I mean? It's a happy time. We're not, we're not, it's all not doom and gloom, but it just serves to remind us of exactly what it takes. And how difficult and how unfair it is. You know, it's possible. 
now because it's been proven to be possible. But just because it's possible doesn't mean it's likely, probable, any of those things. And so we're still left with more or less the same reality we've always lived in. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead, you. Now you're just far more generous than me in cases like this. Mm. Like possible as the standard, it's possible to run across a five-lane highway. It's possible. Mm-hmm. It's not likely or safe or the best decision to make, but it's possible. Like it reminds us that perfection was never the, the goal line or the finish line or the standard anyway. Because mm-hmm. even when we present the most qualified, most polished candidate, they just move the goal line. They move the finish line. Okay, that's not what we meant. We, we meant you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And it doesn't matter how great of an orator you are, what Ivy League school you attended. Let me jump in real quick, real quick, because you said something that was, was spot on about them moving the goal line, no matter how qualified you are. That's literally what we're talking about here. We're going to make it more difficult for you by increasing the charges and the fees and the rent and all this sort of stuff. But I, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, continue. I, I, I said what I intended to. There is no version of us that's enough for the person that's decided that as a people, we're not. They'll tell you because everyone wants to come across as a decent person. Mm-hmm. Right. So they'll tell you it's about us being criminals and about us being scary and about us being uneducated and about us being violent. But even when you're none of those things, then it's going to just be about something else. Yeah. It's a standard that you can't reach because it's not intended for you to. You've checked every box and they just put more boxes on there. Okay, we didn't do this. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like uh, those um, those tests they used to make people take when they when they wanted to vote. Uh, Dr. Westenberg talked about that. She's a good friend of the show. You should listen to the show or go back and check out some previous episodes on civiccipher.com that feature her. She will change your life. Um, All right. I do want to read this. Uh, This year, we celebrate the 54th anniversary of the Fair Housing Act. Uh, The landmark law was signed into law on April 11, 1968 by President Lyndon B. Johnson. The Fair Housing Act prohibits housing discrimination because of race, color, religion, national origin, sex, disability, and familial status. Notice race was first. Um, and I did cover that in my other show, um, Our Daily Story, if you want to check that out on iHeart Podcasts. Um, I highly recommend it if you're interested in pursuing fair housing or you know someone that's dealing with that. And I do want to also put some names with a couple of stories uh, for the, the show that we uh, talked about last time. Um, the appraisers... Uh, came out to do the whitewashed houses, those stories. Um, there was an Indianapolis woman. Her name was Carlet Duffy. She was one of the women who um, whitewashed her house, got a friend, to, a white friend to stand in, change all the pictures around and got more money out of her house. And then there was a Bay Area family, Tanisha Tate Austin and Paul Austin. I want to say their names because they both um, were stories that we talked about on the show and they had to... Uh, go through that um, in order for us to be able to talk about it and kind of put some, breathe some life into that. But yeah, these are real things that really happen to real people every day. And for those of you listening to this show, um, it's not lost on us that you are doing your best to learn how to become a better brother, sister, or whatever to Black people. And we are going to keep that same energy when it comes to doing the same for you. Now, uh, 
It's time for the Way Black History Fact. Um, this one comes from womenshistory.org. I'm going to talk about Ruby Bridges. She is a very special person to me. Um, I just love her story. Uh, this is a story that I did know. A lot of these, you know, I kind of learn them right around the time I'm going to uh, get these off. But I've known about Ruby Bridges for some time. And the good thing about Ruby Bridges is she's still alive, still breathing. So shout out to her for even that. This is some recent black history, but it'll sound like a way black history fact, because I guess in effect it is. I'll read. At the tender age of six, Ruby Bridges advanced the cause of civil rights in November 1960 when she became the first African-American student to integrate an elementary school in the South. Born on September 8, 1954, Bridges was the oldest of five children for Lucille and Abon Bridges, farmers in Tylertown, Mississippi. When Ruby was two years old, her parents moved their family to New Orleans, Louisiana, in search for better work opportunities. Ruby's birth year coincided with the U.S. Supreme Court's landmark ruling in Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, which ended racial segregation in public schools. Nonetheless, Southern states continued to resist integration, and in 1959, Ruby attended a segregated New Orleans kindergarten. A year later, however, a federal court ordered Louisiana to desegregate. The school district created entrance exams for African-American students to see whether they could compete academically at the all-white school. Ruby and five other students passed the exam. Her parents were torn about whether to let her attend the all-white William France Elementary School a few blocks from their home. Her father resisted, fearing for his daughter's safety. Her mother, however, wanted Ruby to have all the educational opportunities that her parents had been denied. Meanwhile, the school district dragged its feet, delaying her admittance until November 14th. Two of the other students decided not to leave their school at all. The other three went to the all-white McDonough Elementary School. Ruby and her mother were escorted by four federal marshals to the school every day that year. She walked past crowds, screaming vicious slurs at her. She's six. My son is seven. Undeterred, she later said she only became frightened when she saw a woman holding a black baby doll in a coffin. She spent her first day at the principal's office due to the chaos created as angry white parents pulled their children from school. Ardent segregationists withdrew their children permanently. Barbara Henry, a white Boston native, was the only teacher willing to accept Ruby. And all year, she was a class of one. Ruby ate lunch alone and sometimes played with her teacher at recess. But she never missed a day of school that year. I want to talk about Barbara Henry one day. That's what I want to do. Become a better ally. Shout out to Barbara Henry. All right. I'm going to switch gears here. This comes from Wikipedia. I know it's not the most scholarly source, but I think it fits right here. It's important for me to share. Um, and then we'll go back to the womenshistory.org blurb. Um, the Bridges family suffered for their decision to send her to William France Elementary. Her father lost his job as a gas station attendant. The grocery store the family shopped at would no longer let them shop there. Her grandparents, her grandparents, right? Grandparents who were sharecroppers in Mississippi were turned off their land and Avon and Lucille Bridges separated. Bridges has noted that many others in the community, both black and white, showed support in a variety of ways. 
Some white families continue to send their children to France despite the protest. <coughs> a neighbor provided her father with a new job. And local people babysat, watched the house's protectors, and walked behind the, the federal marshal's car on the trips to school. It was not until Bridges was an adult that she learned that the immaculate clothing she wore to school in those first weeks at France was sent to her family by a relative of Cole's. Bridges says that her family could have never afforded dresses, socks, and shoes that are documented in photographs of her escort by the U.S. Marshals to and from school. All right. This is heavy for me. I mean, becoming a father, that like really changed me, you know what I mean? So whenever I hear stories about people being unkind to black children, it's a lot for me. Um, I was a black child. Yeah, you get it. Remember that one time when we caught a Nayla on the street? It was a quick story. We caught a, a homeless little girl, little black girl on the street and put together a whole to do about her and got her taken care of. So we put our money where our, where our mouth is. We'll tell that story later. All right. Or you can look it up. Uh, hashtag lunch bag and Nayla, N-A-E-L-A-H. It's, it's documented on, on uh, YouTube if you want to check out the story. Anyway, back to womenshistory.org. While some families supported her bravery and some, none, some Northerners sent money to aid her family, others protested throughout the city. The Bridges family suffered for their courage. Um, in, oh, oh, sorry. Over time, other African-American students enrolled. Many years later, Ruby's four nieces would also intend. In 1964, artist Norman Rockwell celebrated her courage with a painting of that first day entitled The Problem We All Live With. Ruby graduated from a desegregated high school, became a travel agent, married, had four sons. She was reunited with her first teacher, Henry, in the mid-1990s. And for a time, the pair did speaking engagements together. Um, that, that was Barbara Henry, by the way. Uh, Ruby later wrote about her early experiences in two books and received the Carter G. Woodson Book Award. A lifelong activist for racial equality, in 1999, Ruby established the Ruby Bridges Foundation to promote tolerance and create change through education. In 2000, she was made an honorary deputy marshal in a ceremony in Washington, D.C. There's your way black history fact. What you got for me, Q? Deep thought. The word tolerance. Right, we've, we've lowered the standard to that point. To ask for and not even really expect the bare minimum to be tolerated, to matter. Mm -hmm. not to be loved and accepted poured into upheld enriched cultivated no allow us to exist and do your best to tolerate us we don't have enough show for me to dive into that well the good news is that we do have more show next week and more layers to peel back as we always do and uh well that's gonna do it for us so um once again thank you for tuning in to civic cypher we really do appreciate it i'm your host ramses ja I go by the name q ward uh be sure to hit the website civiccypher.com you can download this in any previous episode um, you can send us all your questions any topics you'd like us to cover 
Um, you'll find all our social media. It's at Civic Cipher. Of course, you can download this in any previous episodes. And you can make a donation. The show is growing. We'd like to welcome uh, all of our affiliates with iHeart. Um, we really do appreciate you giving us a chance. Hopefully, we'll make a difference together. Um, we're doing something special here. And uh, yeah, I guess that'll do it. Until next week, y'all. Peace. Stepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show, get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this, we kick finance, action, and scores of sports, politics, new fashion, and war reports, entertainment, when we come to perform, watch, and the illness where the man in the biz on Stormwatch, Triclops Media, record tape, the TV, net radio, CD, or DVD, our science, this is why bad is in scratch and keeping time, Mightier than the sword, cause the pen gives the word, sending swords to war. They twisted it when he quoted Mao Say Tongue. They said political power comes from the barrel of a gun. The officer meet his fate by 4438. It wasn't dirty deep, but that don't need a dirty case. Witnesses against the state for sure.